Hi, and welcome once again to the Sons of Anarchy UK podcast. My name's Tim Coyd, and I am joined by my three originals, once again reunited after a, a brief, um, after Holly's day off last week. So welcome to Holly, <laughs> Lee, and Wendy. Hi. Hi, Tim. It's great to have everyone back, and what a character we are discussing this week. So this week... We are discussing, and only one name like Madonna, Carla. Okay, nice. Let me guess. JD? Something like that. Well, listen, I really hate to step on your little postcoital ritual, but Jeannie and Liz, they have morning dates. Let's go. Party pets. Duty calls. There's a party at the Marriott. I hate the Marriott. Smells like old dudes. These old dudes have money, Tinkerbell. Let's go. All right. I want them gone. Sorry. Carla doesn't like surprises. Yeah, me neither. There we go. Mm-hmm. Carla it is. Okay, so Carla is our subject for this week. Okay then, so over over to you. Um talk about let's talk about Carla and, and how did we first meet Carla in Sons uh, of Anarchy? The way I remember it, it, we actually met Carla because Carla is Nero Padilla's sister. And I think you first met Nero when Gemma wakes up in his bed. Yeah, There's a small interlude before that. Yeah. Was that because I don't remember anything other than... Oh, you don't? Okay. No. I thought um, you would leave. South character. I, <laughs> call it old age memory loss. I don't know, you know. But um, no, I remember... Her, she helps to run the. Um, I forget what the name of the places that he has. Yosa. Well, then it was Yosa. That's sure. it. And uh, she's basically his sort of, you know, right hand person or head yeah. assistant, and yeah, secretary. I think. Yeah. So that is main person. So Holly, what what's your what were you gonna? To mention? See, I remember. Well, if I'm remembering correctly, please do correct me if I'm wrong. That we first are introduced to Nero when him and Gemma are having a little bit of uh, rumpy pumpy, as my grandfather would probably say. Um, and then you cut to the scene where she wakes up in bed and she doesn't call the drunken night before. There's the whole conversation about the open heart surgery. And it's when uh, she heads out into the lobby, she realizes where she is. And Nero has to explain to Carla why the white trash has slept over. <laughs> First episode in season five was now. I think you're right. Is it right? Okay. I'm pretty sure we opened the girls. They had work to do. Indeed. So Carla said was uh, Nero's. uh, We think half sister, don't we? We don't. Half sister. We don't think it's it's full sister. Yeah, she actually played by the real life wife of um, Jimmy Smith's. So him and Carla actually husband and wife in real life. So Wanda de Jesus, I believe. Yeah. That's it. And I, I realised that at the time when I first saw it, actually. No, neither did I. My one memory of, the funny memory of, Car- of uh, Carla is seeing her, seeing her taking juice for a, yeah, uh, yes. into one of the treatment rooms, should we say. And yeah. uh, basically it was sort of tit for tat for, you know, getting her own back on, you know, Nero for doing what he did and then, well, if you know, if it's if it's okay for you to do it, then I I can do it at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. I believe the wine is, the line is uh, uh you're not the only one who can play with white trash. And he goes, actually, I'm Puerto Rican. Yeah. She's like, shh, shh, shh. oh, that was <laughs> yeah, him that was it. Just him along. Oh. So Carla was quite central to to Diosa, and um, what do you think she made of the? the relationship between Nero and the sons and how they started to, to come together. What was, what do you think her, her thoughts and feelings were about that? I don't actually know. I I think she probably saw them as, you know, more customers, more, you know, more business for her girls. And, but I don't, I don't know what her, I can't actually remember what her, the only thing that I remember, I do remember what happened when, uh, at the end of her life, when she dies, and with um, with Juice, um, I know that the sort of they had the wedding of 
who was it now? It was Tara's. Didn't they have Tara's wedding at the Diosa? There was a, a, a minister there. There it is because it's because Jax is going to be going to prison. Yeah, Jax thinks he's going to prison, so that they, they want to get married uh-huh. before. Nothing says true love like capital murder. Yep, exactly, exactly that. There's a really interesting uh, dynamic as well um, mm. with, between Gemma and and Carla. I know that this escalates throughout, which we'll we'll talk about um, yeah. as we go. It feels like it comes from a place of almost. I say jealousy. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is, it, is it sexual uh, it's jealousy? A bit, it's a bit of a sticky situation given the <laughs> that's whole. A, that's uh, a really interesting the genetics phrase. Thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, when Carla picks up Juice and heads to one of the back rooms with him, it almost feels like a direct dig at Nero. Like, you're not the only one who can shag around with other people. Yeah. But this is the thing I don't think Nero cares. And that's what she kind of underestimates in that situation. She's doing it deliberately to get a rise. You know, and for him, really, it's just like, oh, shit, I haven't got anyone to work the desk at the moment. But she's trying to do it as kind of a subtle jab, a kind of, it's a very womanly way of getting back at a man, that kind of mm. subtle, underhanded, not going to have a reasonable conversation with you here. I'm going to do something to get you back and then hope you get the message. What are your highlights or, on the other side, lowlights um, of Carla's brief uh, five episodes, I think she was in? There's a there's a brief rain, but what are your big memories of her, either highlights or lowlights? I mean, I think a lot of what I remember about Carla is actually kind of the aftermath, um, strangely. Because I feel like we learn a lot more about her character once she's passed away yeah. than when she's living. Because Gemma's kind of like, okay, so this secretary, for all she knows, has come out of nowhere, held us, you know, the whole scene ensues. And Nero has to find a way to give her a burial or no money and um, try and work you, out his feelings you, you see the around scene with, her, with him at the, uh, what's the, the mausoleum. The mausoleum. The, the, that's it, yeah. And he kind of um, entombs her ashes in a very expensive yeah. upmarket Californian mausoleum because that's what she would have wanted. But um, yeah, I, I feel like we see a lot more. We, we learn a lot more about when... Nero is grieving. We learn a lot about their relationship, the past, the complicated feelings between them, a lot about the history, and it kind of has a knock-on effect on the relationship between Gemma and Nero, because of course it would. Of course it would. It colours everything, especially as I feel like Gemma at that point is very insecure in her relationship with Nero because it's early doors and things are going to shit with Clay, so she really kind of throws a spanner in the works yeah, because she's not been long split up with Clay, has she? She's no. split up with Clay mm-hmm. at the end. It was at the, either the end of Series 4 or, or the very start of Series 5. So it was almost like you could almost call it a rebound, couldn't you? A re- bit of a rebound yeah. thing um, with, with Nero. So take it back to even his relationship with Carla is because Nero had, went and found her when she was, um, yeah. she was out Badoo. of control. Yes. Mm. And then, like, really, f- like, almost forces her to get help. It's like, um, and and then she becomes like, kind of, the, really helps him legitimize his his operation and try and move away. And then yeah. again, without becoming too much about Nero, because I can't wait to do Nero's episode. <laughs> we're going to be gushing about yes. Nero. Um, that so potentially without that joining up, but it's, everything went back to. To, to family with, with with Nero and and she probably saw him yeah. his help as something more. Um, it happens a lot in in therapy and and uh, and even coaching when you when someone's a life coach or someone like is supporting you through something. Yeah. There's some people mistake that for mm. for more than it more than actually transparency is the word. You know, he presumably, we know for a stint that he's in prison in Stockton, I believe, might be wrong on that, uh, with Alvarez, and that's how the pair know each other. Um, but then he presumably comes out of prison and finds Carla and Badu and the whole Dioza, Dioza Norte kind of ensues. But it makes you wonder if maybe Carla was the thing that kept him clean or Carla was the thing that inspired him to leave the gang lifestyle at last. You know, there's a whole undisclosed chapter there yeah. where the two go back years 
and it, they kind of engage in that gap between him being, you know, king of the bizlats, if you like, um, and then becoming this cardigan wearing dad. You know, yeah. there's definitely there's definitely a transformation that happens, and I wonder if she was a really instrumental part of that transformation because he's like, I need to be sober for her. I need to be on the straight and narrow. I need to be dependable because rehab doesn't come cheap. No. Um, you know, and you can't be out there risking your life every day. Um, you know, gang warfare, dealing drugs, you know, whatever else, uh, potentially being locked up again of some kind of felony. Maybe she was the reason that he left the lifestyle. And I, I mean, that's entirely speculation, yeah. but I wonder if she played a huge part in that. Well, you also wonder because of the way that she died, did she have issues of her own? Did she have mental health issues that drove her? And you sort of wonder whether... Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I think with- it's referenced at one point where um, Nero says she's been off her meds for a while. Or she's yeah. been inconsistent uh. with her meds. So she's clearly on some kind of medication for a well, psychiatric illness. Yes. Yeah. Whether it's mood stabilizers, antipsychotics, you know, it could be anything under the sun. But yeah, she's definitely got her own issues. And I don't think you... I don't think you'd come to the end she did no. unless you had some yeah. underlying issues, mental health or otherwise. Yeah. yeah. I, I wonder whether, and again, pure speculation that that she saw the relationship with Gemma and thought if she's on her own again, will she be able to cope or will she end mm. up in the, in the same yeah. place that, that she'd been previously. And um, yeah, but there's also another, there's a bit that I think, one of the bit that completely knocks her off the rails, I'm not sure if you remember it, was when Gemma and Tara beat her up in the garage. Yes. So I think yeah. that there was um, one of the escorts that were, they were protecting one of the escorts for Nero from his gang. And Carla yes. told the Bizlats where, to, where, where they'd be able to find her. And because of that, Gemma and That's it, isn't it? Because Torek went, goes and does the whole... Yeah. Oh, that awful scene with the beer bottle and the teeth. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You remember? So I think that. So I think that is like the before she turns up in her final appearance. Yeah, I think the last time you see her is just just being yeah. worked over, you know. Yeah. By um, by Gemma and Tara in the garage. We're going to delve into her psychology a bit. Even though there is a lot we don't know about her, we can infer a lot from her mental health and her situation yeah. and how she reacts to the kind of um behaviors of other people so i think you you're really onto something there when you say um she was acting out sort of a fear of abandonment like i think Gemma's not just a threat to her romantically because obviously she has this kind of strange infatuation with her savior the kind of transference thing you know there's there's a complicated attraction or limerence or something there there must have been something traumatic in her younger life that led her to developmental health issues. If you have a happy childhood, you probably yeah. want developmental health issues. Genetics probably only account for about 30% maximum in most mental disorders. So something would have happened. So I can, you know, you can only imagine, you know, the kind of poverty or situation she and Nero may have grown up in, in California. You know, you think about um, the kind of racial undertones of the nineties with policing in California and yeah. the race riots and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you can only imagine, you know, her background. And I think she realizes that her behaviors that she's trying to draw Nero back with are actually alienating him further quite quickly, especially when Gemma and Tara get to beating her and Nero doesn't intervene. She realizes she's had the wrong effect. So she's acting out of not only a sense of abandonment and helplessness, but she's probably yeah. also hearkening back to some kind of trauma in her childhood where she may have experienced some kind of violence, sexual violence. It's not unknown um, for survivors of sexual abuse to develop sort of hypersexual tendencies to try and, it sounds counterintuitive, but it's been well documented to kind of cope with the fact that they lost their kind of sexual autonomy. You know, there, there could be all kinds of trauma underpinning her behaviors. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think it's fascinating that it all crescendos. It's a, it starts as a, it's like most of Sons of Anarchy, right? It's a domino effect. It starts off with a very small, almost inconsequential action, I mean, and it leads to of, something. You know, I mean, how how many people that have you know, in, in the sex working industry? How many of them have, a, have a, a, oh, endured gosh. abuse? 
You know? Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. This is it. Yeah. Um, this is what the decriminalization of sex work kind of movement's about. It's this idea that it's become a taboo and it's been turned into a criminal underworld. So there is no protection on the streets oh. for sex workers because, you know, there's no recourse for criminals, quote unquote. They're seen as subhuman in some way because they're sex workers. They're seen as working outside of the law or scum, criminals, whatever. Not yeah. something I believe, but it's the consensus of people generally, I believe. Um, and you see in countries where they have decriminalized sex work or are more sex positive, uh, like the Netherlands, for example, where sex work is, it's, it's not even blinked at, you know, and the escort uh, services are protected then by the law. You see that they're targeted by less violence because they're thought of as people in a profession yeah. rather than people acting within this criminal underworld where it's fair game. So yeah, yeah you're right. The, the amount of people of minorities for a start who go into sex work because they've got less wages, less opportunities, you know, especially in countries like America where you've got that great disparity in inequality racially in terms of gender, in terms of class, in terms of language barriers and all that kind of stuff, they're forced into sex work. You see quite often people of the LGBTQ plus community are forced into sex work, particularly trans women, it's been noted. Um, and because of, first of all, their marginalised identity, they're more susceptible to violence, but also because of the sex work thing, they can be targeted highly mm. by violent gangs. You know, you hear yeah. about pimps. It's the whole taxi driver situation, you know. Yeah. Um, Jody Foster. Jody Foster yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're right. Yeah, there probably is not just childhood trauma that had her on drugs or had her mentally ill in Burdu when he found her, but it's probably subsequent trauma that happened working in the line of sex work. And, and we and we get glimpses of that, you know, with Cara Cara, with Dioza, Dioza Norte. With Venus. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have, um, is it Georgie Caruso, his name yes, is? Yes. He's a piece of shit. Oh, you know, absolutely. There's a lot of mistreatment. So, yeah, I can imagine there's a lot to a story that could have potentially been explored. the Iranian brothers the way... as well. Remember the Iranian brothers? Yeah, oh, yes. God, yes. Oh, my that's God, horrid. Yeah. Horrid. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's something that's touched upon a lot, sex work and sort of um, porn industry as well. We have um, Venus's parents who are into yeah. the whole oof, child pornography. Yeah. It's awful. It's yeah. awful. Yeah, I feel like... There was definitely an avenue there that Sutter probably did explore in writing, but it never probably saw the screen because of how streamlined the show it had to be, the budget, the time constraints, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I can remember you talking the first episode of the actual this podcast, and you mentioned that it covers nearly every emotion of the human being. Mm. It it just you know, and it's all about family. It's the most emotional. I mean, yes, it's about a group of bikers. And on the surface, if you look at it, yeah, it can be, but it's just so much more. It's about family. It's about love. It's a, it's a lot of violence, but there's a lot of violence mm -hmm. in life anyway. Yeah. But it's, a, it's, you know, it's, it's about a lot of stuff at the sharp end of things. It's realism. It addresses the things I think yeah. people are scared to talk about or scared yes. to address or scared to acknowledge. Yeah, and, you know, there's a, there's a whole there's a whole discourse around. Is it glorifying it if you put it on TV? Is it Hollywoodified? Is it actually that real, or is it tempting people? You know, it's the whole do video games cause gun violence? It's like these things happen whether or not you talk about them. But it's better we have an open discourse about them and can discourage exactly. these things yeah, rather than absolutely. hide from them. You know, yeah, make them less of a taboo is a preventative measure. You know, I mean, the worst thing you can do is ban something because that that just escalates it. You know. It, if it's banned, yeah. it's, it's, suddenly, it's suddenly attractive. You know, everybody's at it. If you, if you just, you know, acknowledge it, ignore it, you know, whatever. Just let it go. Yeah. I just mm. want to correct you, Lee. They are not bikers. They are a group of motorcycle enthusiasts. Yeah, they're motorcycle enthusiasts. <laughs> As yes, Clay sure. says, doesn't gang, he? They're a motorcycle yeah. I didn't mention the word gang. <laughs> They're a motorcycle club as well as the other thing as well, yeah. Yeah. Yes, no illegality happens at all. Hi, Wendy. Hey, I think I'm back. Sorry, Yay. Virgin Media's having a mess. I was just checking online. They're not doing well in this area. God all right, well, we'll keep, we'll keep persevering. And I guess, Wendy, do you have any highlights or lowlights before we move on to um, how Carla left the series? Well, what struck me about Carla, when, when I look back and think about season five, because she was only in season, what was, it, what was it, five episodes in season five? I think if I'm honest, I, she didn't really make a big deal of impact for me. And when I read back over season five, when you listen to like how Kurt Sutter or, or any of the other people, like they kind of revise it and how they, they sort of just put it into some sort of synopsis. 
it never comes up. This whole storyline just doesn't really feature. It's really, it's the weirdest thing. Um, and I'm not sure, I don't know. I think she, she, she had mental issues clearly that were controlled when we first met her. Um, and I suppose if anything, I just kind of thought it was a bit weird that Nero didn't keep better control of her. If you see what I mean? It just seems such as, well, we're going to go there in a minute. Yeah. No, I didn't really. It was honest, basically like a firework where did you go off. I haven't got any high or low lights yeah. on this one. She wasn't that yeah. impactful to me. Okay, then. So it's time then. Let's, let's, let's discuss how Carla left Sons of Anarchy. Um, the demise. Yeah, so she is. I think it's safe and safe to say that she she is no longer. She's not a surviving member of Sons of Anarchy. That that group is limited, <laughs> but she uh, she is not one one of those. So just want to talk me through the sequence um, that that leads to Carla's exit. No, I think she was she was definitely Nero as as we know she's Nero's half sister but she clearly clearly was holding a torch for him um and that you know <laughs> in any language that was probably going always going to be a bit strange um yeah. but it was very real for her um and I think she never adjusted to Nero's relationship with Emma um, I mean, we don't really know any more about her other than that and how she's reacted. Maybe if he's had other partners, I don't know. But she definitely was uncomfortable with that and incredibly jealous. Mm. And I think that sort of started her road to her own demise, really. So let's talk through the the, the short sequence. That, that well, the two of them, she has a, a gun to... Yeah. Nero and Gemma's head, they're in bed, and she basically instructs them to have sex in front of her. Mm. Without being too, you know, graphic, they, they're they obviously very uncomfortable, the two of them. And Well, Nero refuses, doesn't he? Obviously. Yeah. He absolutely refuses. And uh, it gets to a, a certain stage where she just blows her head off. Yeah. But it's quite unsettling how it started because yeah. you, there was a scene, wasn't there, at Gemma's house, Gemma and Clay's house, and uh, Gemma was completely unaware that um, uh, Carla was there. I mean, Carla had broken in, and if I remember rightly, she was just casually, wasn't she just sitting at the, the table or something, the kitchen table? And, yes. and Gemma yeah, yeah. And Gemma happens upon her and says, like, oh, my God, you know, you're there. Mm. And then it, it became obvious really quickly that that wasn't a friendly visit. <laughs> Um, yeah, and that's when she ordered Gemma into the bedroom, didn't she? And then she, but before she made sure that uh, she called Nero, so Nero was en route. And yeah, that was her whole plan. It was very, it's kind of sad, really. Um, oh, extremely. Very uncomfortable scene. The whole thing. Yeah. But Nero had had enough, hadn't he? And he absolutely refused. He flew out of bed, didn't he? And he flatly refused and basically said, "Didn't he point? Didn't he take the gun? She was holding the gun. He didn't he put it to his chest? Say, go on, then shoot me or something." He certainly like that. presented his chest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, "Yeah." He said, "That's something in Spanish, it, but it was me. like, kill me, go on. Then if you want me dead, yeah. do it. Go on." And then, and then she, she made that immortal like She said that thing, didn't she? Um, which was the last thing she said. I, I did write it down, actually. She said, I'm sorry. I just wanted to go out watching you do your thing. And with that, she took her life. It's quite something. It, it poses well, some that, that bit was powerful, actually. That was really powerful. I didn't expect that, to be honest with you. I, 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 as she no. said those words, I thought, oh, my God, I think I know what she's going to do. But mm -hmm. I, I couldn't guess it before that. Yeah. But it, if we just, if we just, let's just analyze that sentence for a second. Let's just unpick that. I wanted to go out watching you do your do thing. Do your thing. It implies that maybe she's seen him do his thing, or whatever that might be before. And I have questions. Like, what, I'm, what I'm worried. I'm What's wondering. What's the dynamic there? Was yeah. there? I'm well, wondering about the, the incest word. Well, I wonder. <laughs> I'm actually mind. wondering whether it went on. I'm, I, I, mean, I, 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 I didn't want to. I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to, you know, mention the elephant in the room. But I think that the incest there may have been some on her part. I don't know. Mm, I think. I think she would have liked it. I honestly didn't believe that. Actually, I thought it was more to do with the fact that Nira ran an escort agency. She was his second mm. in command, his sort of wingman, if you like, wingwoman. 
Um, and she's seen him do all sorts of things because that's but that's my question. Has he also done sex work? Because he's the pimp kind of protector, kind of front for the company. But um, do your things on kind of implies that he had a level of involvement. For, I mean, first hand, quote unquote, involvement. If you get what I'm saying. I don't know. It's a very strange... Very cleverly written because there was so much left out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting if he did actually do anything with her. A, because of the type of person we were led to believe he was and how he was introduced to us and how he seemed to carry himself through the show. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is he went looking for her and he got he basically got her clean and supported her. And then... And she was on medication. That was it. She was on medication to keep That's her right. stable. Um, and, and that's how we saw her. That's how we met her. She was quite a stable person. She was running that place for him, effectively organising all the girls, doing this and doing that. And then she started to fall away and fall apart when uh, she realised how involved he was with Gemma. So I suppose you can conclude for what she actually managed to do in the end, she clearly wasn't taking her medication. And mm. yeah, no. it was all out of whack again for her. Um, they're not interesting because we never really knew, did we? There was no actual storyline that said a lot of subtext. what had happened. Exactly. Yeah, you mm. could write your own. There was probably so many different versions of I'm it. I'm sure there are versions out there of <laughs> people's own version of events. Yeah, I'll let you research oh that God. one. Yeah. Um, I think for me, just, just, re- just reflecting on what you said, is that Nero was a heroin addict. Who knows what he would have done in the past? Mm. So... Yeah, um, yeah but the, th- don't know. the thing with that that really struck me about the end and, and Carla's suicide, ultimately it was a suicide, um, was how unemotional it was, though. It was so planned and cold and yeah. it wasn't didn't feel like it as something to just decide to do on the spur of the moment. It was almost like didn't sense a lot of emotion from Carla. Really think she seemed a bit detached. I think. It was very accurate, Um, you know, completely candidly here. I am someone who has suffered with mental health issues all my life. I have experienced suicidal feelings, suicidal ideation. This is something I've been in therapy for, you know, thankfully I'm not in that place anymore, but it has been a feature of my life. Um, One of the many things I learned about in therapy, my, one of my therapists proposed this model of thinking about emotions where you kind of start with a traffic light. So you start with green, I'm fine, orange, I'm not as functional as I could be, but I'm still kind of carrying on with my life. Red is like all systems offline, I'm in free fall. And then she suggested there's this concept outside of it called a code blue, which is what they refer to a cardiac arrest or a yeah. pox, you know, hypoxic event in a hospital as code blue. So it's decided that you're, you're on the brink of death. And she said, once you head into that code blue territory, you are essentially detached and committed to the idea of ending your life. This is the phase where people will get their uh, affairs in order. I'm sure people have heard Mm. that before. People who are, it's one of the signs of people who are going to commit suicide, getting their affairs in order. Are they giving away their possessions? Are they writing wills and testaments? Are they, you know, just tidying up every loose Mm. ends? Are they making contact with people they hadn't in years and writing wrongs, all that kind of sort of stuff. And what essentially happens in the brain, and this is fascinating to me, is once you're in that kind of depressive uh, kind of fight or flight state where it's like my only option is death here, um, you're operating entirely on the sort of limbic part of your brain, which is the lower, older regions of the brain, the regions that all animals have, rather than the human kind of logical, rational reasoning part. And when that part of the brain comes online, um, the limbic system, the fear response, the fight or flight, it actually offlines the part at the front of your brain, your frontal and prefrontal cortex, which is sort of just above and behind your eyes, the part of your brain that's responsible for reasoning and for yeah, planning right. and for forethought and emotional regulation and personality and all these things. Every, every part of you that exists in terms of your humanity, your reasoning, your logic, your self-control, it's completely offline when that part of the brain takes over. So when Carla's reached that point, you, when you say she seemed attached and when you say she seemed like she was just resigned and it kind of came out of nowhere, it's the idea that she was at this point sort of divorced from fear. She feared nothing more than continuing her life. You know, her only option as far as she was aware in whatever sort of depressive, 
neurotic, psychotic, whatever state she might have been in, she was absolutely devoid of reason. She had made her decision a while ago. So it makes sense to me when you see her almost out of nowhere, just blast her head off, no hesitation. It isn't a gun in mouth, shaking hands, oh, I'm not sure, will I, won't I moment. It's very much a, she's already made the decision by the time she's driven out there. She's made the decision by the time she confronts Gemma, by the time she calls Nero and everything else ensues. You know, it, it's already over for her mentally because she has no concept of a future and she's acting purely out of fear. And I think that's very evident from her actions. So that's my two cents on the matter. You get to a stage where you've decided, right, I'm going to go, go ahead with yeah, it. Yeah, the decision's made. By the yeah, time you and then afterwards, it. you almost get a, a sort of relief, uh, a sort of the, the weight of the world has, has lifted off your shoulders that you mm-hmm. finally decided to do it. And you, there's a certain sort of release, a relief. Yeah, it. it's the nothing left to lose phenomenon. We've all yeah. heard that phrase, yeah. you know, where it's like people will do the, the craziest things and they've got nothing left to lose. And it's like, whether I guess it's to do with kind of whether you externalize or internalize issues and individual differences therein Mm. you know whether you think i've got nothing left to lose i'm gonna act out and fuck society or whether i've got nothing left to lose therefore i have no worth it's all about how you process that feeling i suppose but if you do go and listen back speaking of you know reaper reviews and theory there is an episode of the theory podcast prior to the reaper reviews beginning some of theo's early episodes where he talks about, you know, I think he's spoken quite openly about the fact that his dog saved his life, you know, and he means that in more ways than one. And I feel the same way about my dog, you know, he gets me out and gets me up out of bed in, on days where I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be here anymore, you know. And he talks about how I think people think suicide is one thing. You know, it's the act of, you know, whatever method you take, pills, mm. um, slitting your wrist, hanging, you know, let's not get into that. But self-destructive behaviours are kind of, and passively suicidal behaviours also manifest. You know, yeah. there's there's the not checking when you're crossing the road. There's the deliberately starving yourself sort of thing. There's the kind of self-endangering uh, behaviours, so like over-drinking, taking drugs. These are all passively suicidal behaviours. And Theo talked quite deeply, and I, I, I'll be honest, I had a bit of a week listening to it. Um, he talked about how he, in his youth, um, did a lot of drinking and, you know, he was in with people who were taking a lot of drugs. I don't know if he himself took drugs. That's not clear. But he talks about how he one night was choking on his own vomit, essentially passed out. Yes. You know, and, and the dog came up to him. And the yeah. dog nudged woke him, him up. over and woke yeah, him up. That's it. So, you yeah. know, I, whatever, whatever, it's my point is whatever Theo might have to say, you know, or whatever Coates might have to say, because he's talked about people in his family have mental health issues. I completely trust their experience on the matter, you know, not opinions, experience. I completely trust that he understands it personally, as well as kind of in terms of researching for a character and trying to get into that headspace. I, I trust his experiences on that. And whatever he had to say on this week's episode of Big Reviews, I trust it's profound, personal, and correct, most of well, all, you know. I was actually very close to that last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I I never attempted anything. I mean, the the local mental health team were involved. They used to come to the house. They didn't do a great deal, and it basically ended up with me being on two hundred milligrams of fucking sertraline, which we all <laughs> we both know I is an absolute that, yeah. bastard. And it probably did more harm than good, but that's another story. Um, but yeah, it's mental health is it it sneaks its way into a lot of things with it the Santa, yeah. And I think in the past year, it's been highlighted more than ever. Yeah. You know, people who've never experienced mental health issues before have suddenly experienced them. Like one of the things that was evident from my studies in health psychology was that the difference in so many cases with so many health outcomes, whether it's a physical condition, mental condition, neurodegenerative, you know, uh, whether it's something like depression, whether it's something like cancer treatment, whether it's something like Alzheimer's, your longevity is tied inextricably to human contact and your social support network. You wouldn't believe the difference it makes. If people who have social support networks, you've heard about Alzheimer's, people who um, have Alzheimer's but have still strong family links or still socialize a lot, their lives can be prolonged a lot longer because their brain's working and they get all the positive kind of healing neurochemicals from social interaction. But in this pandemic, particularly, I think we've realized 
just what it's like to be left alone with your mental health. People out of nowhere who've never experienced mental health before are suddenly experiencing it. The NHS has been completely overwhelmed, as I'm sure mental health services in other parts of the world. You know, and I think more than ever, we are having conversations about mental health that we weren't having before. People are opening up about these taboos. And I, for one, I'm always happy to have that conversation. I'm always happy to advocate. I am always happy to demystify, to expand the dialogue to kind of promote awareness because this is it it's people think of it as unnatural or you know abnormal in some way but ultimately these things wouldn't happen you wouldn't experience these feelings and issues and disorders if they weren't an inbuilt part of the human condition you know it's it's humanity end of the day and going back to sons of anarchy i think sons of anarchy really does very well encapsulate that humanity in every form you know there's a reason behind every behavior there are experiences that some people can't possibly conceive of, but they're still a fact of life. You know, there, there, there is grief, there is joy, there is elation, there is addiction, there is, you know, ecstasy and sex mm. and booze and fun and joy and trauma. It's got it all. It's got, got it, it all. all. Yeah. And I, I really do think it speaks to the experiences of the actors and the writers and directors and all the creative individuals that worked on that show that they managed to strike such a chord with so many people. Mm. Clearly there were people on mass who saw something of themselves in that show or saw something reflected, something that brought them comfort. And to go back to one of my favorite quotes of all time from Banksy, it's art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable, you know? And I feel like Sons of Anarchy does that so well. Okay then, so now it is time for us to rate our character. So they're, they're always rated against the same five categories, brutality, intelligence, loyalty, street cred, and likability. So let's start with Lee this week. Um, as always, I think we always start with Lee. So start with Lee and brutality. Mm, so it's a difficult one. This I'm going to rate her 60. Uh, not She's not outwardly violent in the way that a lot of them were brutal to other people, but I think the way that she made her exit was brutal. And it, yeah, I'm going to give her 60. Yeah, I found her difficult, actually. Um, I gave her 67. Um, very similar reason to, to Lee, actually, because we, we didn't see a great deal of evidence of her brutality, but the position she held, the, you know, the escort agency, I just kind of figured she certainly knew how to handle herself, and I'd imagine she wouldn't hesitate to be brutal she was certainly would be if it involved Miro I thought um and yeah of course and as Lee quite rightly said you know her her own exit yeah that shows a certain level of brutality for herself so yeah in which she chose so 67 uh, I was going to both straight down the middle and say 50 but to appease the gods that be <laughs> Tim um I've gone for 51 yeah, I think, I think you're right. She held the position of sort of, I suppose, madam at the brothel. You know, you have to be a certain kind of, for people who can't see what I'm doing, <laughs> I'm kind of flexing. Um, you have to be a certain type of character in order to hold that kind of position. You need balls. Um, balls are yeah, scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, we, we're told she had, you know, past involvement with, you know, perhaps substance abuse issues and gangs and the Bizlat and Nero when he was younger. So we can assume a level of brutality purely because of her involvement in that enterprise. Um, but yeah, I think the thing that stands out most in terms of brutality is her death, you know, um, at her own hands. And not to get all Catholic, but it's kind of like, you know, violence against the self is the kind of Dante's Inferno version. I'm not religious, but that's the way I think a lot of people define kind of violence. Um, so yeah, I'd say 51 is where I kind of land on that. Mine was higher than, and that's the, not usual for me, I guess. But anyway, um, I went for 78 and I think that the the way that, first of all, her her exit was just horrifically brutal. Mm. Um, Truly. Uh, but I do, th- I think I've got, you know, she looked like she could look after herself and she would, if she needed to, she would, I think she would have clawed the, someone's eyes out especially mm. for oh, totally yeah um so i went for 78 okay intelligence now and wendy i figured she said well she struck me as quite an intelligent lady actually um just despite how everything will panned out and unfortunately i think she disappeared down at that particular 
whole, if you like. But I, I scored a 79 for intelligence. Um, she, was, she was a smart cookie. You could tell by the way she, she ran, uh, you know, all the girls and, and everything, how she looked after Nero, how she could certainly sort of handle, she seemed to understand, you know, the Bizlats and their involvement. And um, no, I don't know. I, I reckon she was fairly intelligent, so 79. I guess we're really divided on this, but such is the nature of any character where it's kind of brief like this. Um, I'd put her right down at 11. I think she's clearly struggling in some way to articulate her feelings. So she's act- she's kind of like a child in that sense. She hasn't learned the language for her emotions. She hasn't kind of learned coping mechanisms. She hasn't got that emotional intelligence or verbal intelligence. And, you know, it's not like she has an occupation where she's an accountant or a lawyer, you know, however we imagine success these days in the West, you know? Um, so, yeah, I just got a sense of kind of not necessarily a lack of intelligence, but certainly immaturity from her or naivety in its own way. So um, I kind of put her at 11 because I didn't really see that there was any particular intelligence about her and the whole sleeping with Juice to try and get back at Nero thing struck me as very playground. I say playground, very high school, very, very childish. So yeah, 11. Um, I'm going to go with, with Wendy's end of the spectrum. I think um, I'm going to go for 80, or maybe 83. Uh, I think she's she'd need to have some form of intelligence to sort of I mean the enterprise that they're in she needs to sort of have some sort of survival intelligence to be able to cope with the sort of work that they do the people that they deal with uh customers yeah uh street smarts um and I think that she was also fairly manipulating the way way she managed to manipulate yeah Mm. so that sort of intelligence I would rate her very highly um, but again, again, she's a very difficult. She she wasn't. We, she's somewhat of an unknown quantity in that we didn't see a lot yeah. of her to really to really gauge anything. So yeah, I'm going to go for 83. Um, I gave her 61, and it was a lot to do with the um, the assumed intelligence for being able to run a legitimate brothel. Um, that was kind of where that's all I had to really go on. Um, yeah. So, yeah, 61 for me. Holly, would you like to start us off with loyalty? Yeah, I couldn't really see anywhere that she had any particular disloyalty, to be honest. That that was more what I looked at in terms of loyalty. So she's uh, very loyal to Nero. Um, <laughs> hold the torch for him, as Wendy so aptly put earlier. Um yeah, no, and I feel like she takes care of her girls, you know, such as any kind of madam of the brothel, mistress, whatever you want to call it, would take care of the business. Yeah, so I put her at a 98. I think the only tipping point was when she felt threatened by Gemma. And even then, it was acting out of loyalty to Nero because she clearly perceived her as some kind of threat to not only Nero, but the whole enterprise and to her. So 98 for loyalty is where I put her. I'm going to also go in the 90... Uh, I'm going to go 93. So, yeah, I think she... Fiercely loyal. Yeah, I'm, I can't really... Again, I, I can't really say that she was disloyal to anybody. So, yeah. Yeah, 90, 93. Yeah, I scored a fairly high, but maybe not quite as high. I, I went for 87 based on the fact that Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, she was so fiercely loyal to Nero. That was just so obvious. And right, right up to the very bitter end, that, that remained true. But that's where I thought the loyalty was, and I thought everything was centred on Nero. I didn't sense any loyalty to anyone or anything else. It was it was always that connection to Nero for me. Um, so, yeah, uh, 87. Yeah, I was sort of similar um, score then it was a really high score so I got 90, 91 and it was all about Nero um, and it was all about her loyalty she was too is there such a thing as too loyal I don't know um, but blind I blind loyalty I don't, yeah. know, I don't even know if it was blind I think it was just ridiculous loyalty uh, to the point where you would get to the point that, that it happened and but there was definitely something there. So 91 for loyalty. Can I retroactively change mine? 
because I've, I've just recalled out of nowhere. She grasped the mum, didn't yeah. she? Yeah. To the feds. That's not a very loyal thing to do. I guess she's loyal. She's loyal to Nero. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Am I allowed to change mine, Tim? Will you? Will you? Will you allow me? Well, to be fair to her, she no. She she genuinely believed that one of the girls, uh, one of the escorts, had been speaking to Vice. That was what she she absolutely believed that, and that that was the other arc. I don't know because I was offline, wasn't I? So you probably did discuss this, but um, no, she yeah no, she definitely did. She believed that one of the escorts had uh, basically ratted to Vice um, and got Diosa closed down, and she believed that was the resp- that was down to one of the girls. So she told the Bizlats about this. Um, and that was where we had that confrontation where they chased Jax and they were trying to get her away and Jax came off his bike and he wasn't very happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it caused Jax a lot of trouble, actually. So, um, yeah. So, so, Holly, this is this could be a first, Wendy. Is, are we going to... I know. Holly, so what would you change it to? I'm going to lower it just a little bit. I'm not going to lower it by a huge margin. Just bring it up 98 to 91. Because I think anyone who would ever willingly go to the feds or kind of, she clearly has doubts about her girls thinking out they've gone to the vice. Yeah. Yeah. I that's what I, I'm not sure it was not her, but didn't she believe one of the girls did? And then she yeah, did. there's definitely a level of mistrust there. Yeah. Okay. 91. 91 wow. is okay. the final number. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of why in my head, she was only ever loyal to Nero. Nero. Only Nero, I think. Okay. All right. Wow. A bit of bit of a controversy on the podcast so changing scores <laughs> we love um, it we love it we love now, that's it. now locked in right it's locked in holly yeah, no, yeah, no changes yeah. Final, now. Answer. final answer yeah. Final answer. Yeah. so back to lee and street cred for carla i'm gonna go 50 i think that she would i think nero, nero would give her more street cred uh he would be I think whatever she, wherever she was, he would have her back. I think she was as loyal to him as he was to her. And I think that, you know, if you're the matrix, if you're the madam of a brothel, you are like, very much like Gemma is the matriarch of the fat of the mm. the Sam fan. She is the sort of mate, and I think that would afford her certain um, kudos or certain street cred. So I'd give her, I'd give her fifty. Okay. Mm, I gave a lot of thought to this one because <laughs> I was bouncing around, if I'm honest with you, but I did settle on a reasonably high score. I went for 83. Um, the reason I went for that, in a way, is because we're given to believe her history, uh, that she was probably at the lowest point that she could probably get in her life. Turned it all around, obviously with a, a lot of nearest help, um, and to end up helping him, um, supporting Diosa and helping him turn legitimate because, of course, he had a very checkered past. Um, and he did credit a lot of that to her, actually, as well. I, I don't know. I think the fact that she was his wingman in Diosa, and I think that brought a lot of credibility. And I would imagine in the locale, because they kept it all very... Um, because it was legitimate, they didn't court trouble, um, they didn't have any problems with the surrounding area, they'd chosen their location well, obviously, but they kept themselves, you know, under wraps and within the community, and I reckon that probably gets her quite a bit of street cred, actually, for that. Maybe I'm looking at it a different way, I don't know, but yeah, I'm going to say, I'm sticking with that, 83. You guys keep throwing a spanner in the works for me. I'm like, I'm, 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 like, I'm like, I'm sure I've got an answer for this one. We love this. This is the first week where I'm really unsure, you know. She's um, the- yeah, this is it. I think you've both touched on the fact there that Nero is kind of the source of a lot of her street credibility. Yes. You know, it's her attachment or involvement with the Bizlats and with Nero and you know, the essentially criminal, although it was legitimized uh, enterprise of running a brothel and an escort, you know, sex work service. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for me, the fact that she was struggling so much in her past, you know, when she was out on the streets, presumably with, you know, substance abuse, mental health issues, whatever, the fact that she wasn't doing great on her own tells me that maybe she hasn't got as much street credibility as one might think. So, and also, like, she didn't really hold her own that well in that fight against Tara and Gemma as well. Like, I feel like if you had a lot of street cred, you'd be able to slap a bitch effectively, yeah? I don't know. So, I, mm. 
Hilarious. Well, I've seen that one, you know. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, mm. it was, it felt maybe, maybe like, Nero's has, maybe Nero's has street cred. Yeah, I think I don't think it's technically hers. And also, it was no. like, yeah, you're right. That scene was like watching someone kick a dog when it was already, yeah. And I just think over. the situation had been different, and there was no Nero in the picture. I think we would have seen a, a, a very violent person there. I think she would have come out all guns blazing, but mm. there was something submissive about that entire scene. It was as if she almost let it happen because she knew maybe she knew the consequences if she fought yeah. back. And uh, and in her head, she knew how much Gemma, for instance, meant to Nero, and therefore, by extension, Tara, the whole family type thing, she could sever her ties unwillingly from her point of view with Nero, potentially. And mm. I don't know, somehow it's just it. very submissive. She let it It's happen. all in the motivations. And honestly, it's not entirely clear what her motivations are, no, but maybe exactly. that's... Another one. Her <laughs> character's inconsistent. That's her whole thing. She's impulsive. She acts out. She's almost yeah. teenage like that. I'll give her a 41, I think. We'll stick with that. That'll do. Okay. <laughs> That'll do, yeah. So for me, I really struggled with this one as well. And um, really along the same lines of Holly, uh, that I think the position she had didn't really... I think the street cred came from Nero. I think that didn't have a huge amount of respect. It didn't feel beyond beyond Diosa. Um, and I ended up... I've had pulled a lot of that together because obviously we didn't see we didn't see a lot of her. And I, I came to 49, so I'm, and I'm definitely happy to stick with 49. This is it. It's easy for you because you always go last. This is it. I, I'm yeah, to you. Oh. you. You lose like, the whole argument. And then, and then <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm on to you. Because uh, uh, they never change. <laughs> mm, okay, I then. I'm going to go first. Likeability. Go on. Um, so, likeability. For me, I didn't find her a very likable character. I wasn't charmed or uh, probably more intrigued about her than 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 really liked liked her. Now you see, you got me questioning, Holly. Holly, I'm, I've, I know what your game is, um, <laughs> because I, I I've, I've scored a seventeen, and I'm beginning to think is that too harsh? Because I didn't really dislike her a huge amount. Maybe it should be higher, but I wrote seventeen down and. Just to prove that yeah. I don't change it, I'm not going to change it. So 17 uh-huh. for me. <laughs> Wendy, you're next. Um, well, I gave her I gave her 46. Um, she didn't make a major impact on me, I'll be honest with you, but there was still something there, and I still come back to uh, Tim's way of looking at this one. <laughs> would I like to go and have a drink with her? To a degree, yeah. I think that I would have a few questions I'd probably like to ask that character. Um, yeah, I, I'd be, I'm happy with 46 because there was, there was something there. I think about her and I think, I mm, didn't really like the character. On the other hand, I wouldn't mind getting to know her a bit more. So that's where the, that's where the score came from. Yeah, the Tim test is a great litmus test, generally. Would you go for a drink with them? It's such, it's such a brilliant test. I think, yeah, I think honestly, and maybe this is me where I'm like, I recognise something in her that I don't like about myself. I, fi- I find her quite repellent. I'm like, I imagine she'd be quite, quite an interesting person to be friends with, if you know what I mean. I feel like you'd, she'd be the sort of person to upload a status to Facebook where it's like, oh my God, such a bad day and leave it ambiguous so people come and chase her for it. You know, I feel like, I feel like she'd rub me up personally the wrong way, but I understand that she's probably not acting that way just to target me personally. I, I realize it's a product of, you know, mental illness, childhood, whatever, upbringing, cultural differences, whatever it might be. But yeah, personally, I didn't really vibe. She didn't pass the vibe check for me. So I've got her at 16. I Again, there wasn't a lot to dislike, but there, there wasn't a lot to like about her. So I'm going to give her 30. I keep thinking about that scene with Juice. <laughs> oh, she's ballsy. You know, she is. She's ballsy, but and I, I like, I like that in in women. I like sort of women that have got guts. That are you know, sort of, that know how to swing their handbag. And I think she, oh, I love that. I I like that. Um, but as to her personally, no, not I don't like no. Thirty. 
Okay, so Carla comes out with an overall score for Brutality, 64, Intelligence, 58, Loyalty, 91, Street Cred, 56, and Likeability, 27. So that is Carla. And now it is time for us to spin our wheel of names. This will get us set for who we are going to be discussing next week. Now, cannot wait. I'm going to put my hand on heart and say I kind of I'm ready for a big name coming up here. So I don't am know I. about you. Oh, be great. Okay then. So everything crossed. Everything crossed. Yeah, I definitely want a club member. Uh, I mean, we've got to get there eventually. Yeah, we hope, I hope so. We're on series two, for God's sake. <laughs> well, we have had, well, yeah, it's get, we had um, Les Packer, but he's he's not a, a Redwood original, though, <laughs> is he? Four episodes. Yeah, two episodes. <laughs> that he had about three <laughs> lines in the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the wheel of names is how we decide which character we are going to, um, which character we are going to discuss next week. Um, so on the screen now, my lovely panel will see the wheel of name. Right, so let's have a, before I press to spin, what's your dream Ooh. name to come up this week? Jax Teller. Jax Teller. <laughs> so Wendy. Wendy. Keep, keep, your powder, keep your powder dry. <laughs> I, mm, I would really love to discuss, I think, someone like Chibs or someone like... Kids, what a man, yeah. Or Tig, you know, I feel like Ooh. they're central, but they're not quite okay. central. They're complex enough, but they're not yeah. just like this hero complex. Wendy or yeah. Venus for me. Oh, a supporting Venus. cast. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you know there's some so many good oh, I love Venus. I know, we do. I love Venus. Oh, Walter Coggins. Yes. All right, then, here we go. Let's see Let's what. Go. Let's see what the wheel has. Right, okay. <laughs> so here we go. The wheel is spinning. Lumpy. Yeah. I love Lumpy. Oh, love him. So Lumpy yeah. Feldstein. Yeah. Lumpy Feldstein is the uh, subject of next week's discussion. So initial thoughts on Lumpy. Oh. Deserved better. Yes. Did nothing did. wrong. Yes. Good old Lumpy. Lumpy. Good old Lumpy. It's any time for us to finish the podcast for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter at SOA UK podcast. You can find me at, at Holly Tallarico on Twitter. Please forward any questions, any suggestions, any discussions you want to have to me. And of course, there are the other lovely members of our UK originals. Lee? At Sanvida. And I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you've got to say about it. If you want to, you know, comment. And but I love a dis- discussion. So, yeah. Wendy? Uh, ditto for me. I love a good old discussion. And I can, I'm at, at Busy777. And, of course, our spectacular host, Tim. Oh, well, thank you, Holly. Uh, you can find me at, at SOAUK Podcast. You can email us s-o-a-u-k podcast at gmail.com and what we would really love is when you when you know when you go on your podcast app click on the bit that says subscribe and you'll get the podcast as soon as it's released and apple have sent an email saying they have now fixed their system so it should be more should be hitting apple as soon as it is released as well um and another thing you could do for us is give us a little five star review and yeah. and leave us some some nice comments there. That yeah. that really helps us um, get to more people as it appears higher in the searches on Apple and other websites. Yeah. So, yeah, subscribe to us on your streaming service of choice and remember to leave us a review, any comments and any suggestions that you might have. And hopefully, we'll see you next time. And that's about it. So, thank you very much. Um, and I would like to bid farewell to the. Brilliant panel, as always, Lee, Holly, and Wendy. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. And uh, stay with us next week. Lumpy Feldstein. Bye.